This is the 23rd Sunday of Pentecost. It has been 23 weeks, almost a half a year, since the day of Pentecost. By the time that we come to the first Sunday of Advent, and this season of witness is over, it will have been a half a year. And we are reminded, as we go through this time, that Christ has committed to us the mission of telling all the world the gospel of Jesus Christ while there is still the opportunity. Today is the day of salvation. And the day is coming when there will be no more opportunity. And we want to be faithful. We have been following the work of the church through the book of Acts. We have been seeing how the Holy Spirit has empowered the church and directed its witness. And we have been watching over the last weeks the missions of the Apostle Paul as he went forth, led by the Holy Spirit, to carry out the Great Commission and take the gospel to all people. Today we are going to be looking at a spectrum of chapters 20 to 26. So open your Bibles and we'll be referring to different passages and you'll be able to see the context as we go through those passages. Our study today is entitled, Will You Fail or Finish? As we come to our study today, we remember that last week we saw the Apostle Paul in the city of Ephesus. He had come to Ephesus to minister because it was the chief city in the province of Asia. There was also a dominant spiritual presence of darkness there. And the Apostle Paul knew that he needed to break through that darkness. And if he did, that would be the key to evangelizing the province of Asia. And Paul did break through that darkness. And within two years, all of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, have been exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was a great revival in Ephesus. A great working of the Holy Spirit to the extent that the fear of the Lord came upon even unbelievers and they held the name of the Lord in high esteem. And at the end of that time, Luke records for us, afterward, Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go over to Macedonia and Achaia before going to Jerusalem. And after that, he said, I must go on to Rome. I want you to take note of two phrases here. First, compelled by the Spirit. Paul felt compelled to go to Macedonia and Achaia. And then secondly, take note of what Paul is saying here. I must go on to Rome. Paul is thinking, where do I need to go next? Where do I need to go further to take the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be obedient to my calling, to fulfill the Great Commission? And so at this moment, Paul is compelled by the Spirit. There's this feeling within him, I need to go over to Macedonia. And there is resolve in his heart. Afterward, I need to go on to Rome. 
Paul is living out what he wrote to one of his Macedonian churches, the church at Thessalonica. He said to them in his second letter, To this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his call, and may fulfill every good resolve and work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you again to take note of a couple of things that the Apostle Paul emphasizes that he prays for the church at Thessalonica. The first thing is that they would be worthy of God's call. The second is that they would fulfill every good resolve and work of faith. He is expecting that there would be a resolve in their hearts, that in obedience to the mission, they would resolve to do certain things to advance the gospel, and that they would do so by faith. It would be a work of faith. It would be beyond their abilities. It would be, on, be beyond their resources. But just like the Apostle Paul went trusting God and being obedient to the mission, that they would do the same thing. And as a result, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified. The Apostle Paul will travel to Macedonia he will go on to Achaia, where Corinth is located. He will stay there for three months. During those three months, he will write his letter to the church in Rome. As he comes to the end of that letter, he will write these words. God gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God, so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. Now, as we read this last sentence, we get a window into Paul's thinking his desires. He has wanted before now to come to Rome, to visit the church there. Remember, Aquila and Priscilla came from Rome to Corinth, where Paul met them as believers. So there's a church at Rome, and Paul wants to go there and encourage them and strengthen them. He's never been there. Someone else has gone on ahead of him. And they've established the church. They've shared the gospel. But that church is in the capital of the empire, and it's important to the Apostle Paul to visit those believers and encourage them. 
but he's been hindered in getting there because of all of the obstacles and all the difficulties that he's encountered in ministry. He goes on to say to them that his mission has taken him from Jerusalem to Illyricum, and he has always fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ because it's his ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not known. You can look at the map here and see the four different journeys that the Apostle Paul will take. He's in the midst of the third one as he writes this letter to Rome. He will make a fourth one, which will be his trip to Rome. The Apostle Paul has covered, when he finishes these four trips, about 10,000 miles preaching and sharing the gospel. Then Paul wrote to them and said, But now there is no more place for me to work in these regions. And since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through, and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. Now, once again, there's a number of significant things that the Apostle Paul is saying as we read this passage. We just read that it's his ambition to go where the gospel has not been preached. Now, the gospel has been preached in Rome, and he has been wanting to go to Rome. But it is not to stay there and to minister. He tells us in this passage that he wants to visit them, but it will be in the course of passing through. He is seeking places where the gospel has not been preached. One of those places is Spain. Twice in this passage, he says, Spain, when I go to Spain, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. We also see that Paul wants to go to Jerusalem, but we also understand the reason why Paul has gone to Macedonia and Achaia. Instead of leaving Ephesus and taking the shortest possible route, to go to Jerusalem. It's to collect an offering, the purpose for which he had sent letters, and then to bring that offering back to Jerusalem. Now, Paul's trip there unfolds this way. He is going to Jerusalem by way of Macedonia. It is a much shorter trip to have gone from Ephesus down here to Jerusalem. But instead, he traveled up to Troas and then across to Macedonia to collect this offering for the church in Jerusalem. When he arrived in Macedonia, he wrote his fourth letter to the church at Corinth. It's the letter that we have in our Bibles as 2 Corinthians. 
And then the Apostle Paul did what he always does. He follows a previous route so that he can visit churches that had been established during his previous mission and encourage the disciples to remain faithful to the Lord and to continue the work of evangelizing their region. Paul would arrive in Corinth, and there he would stay for three months. And from Corinth, he wrote his letter to the church in Rome. He then entrusted the delivery of that letter to a delegation of people led by Phoebe, of which he said, she is a servant of the church in Sinchia, a great help to many people, including me. And instead of sailing from Sinchia, which is a seaport just south of Corinth, and leaving from there and going directly to Jerusalem, Paul hears of a plot by the Jews wanting to kill him. And so he traveled back up through Macedonia, sailed from there over to Troas, spent some time with the disciples there, and then while Luke and his other companions sailed down to Miletus, the Apostle Paul walked. He walked from Troas down to Miletus, there to meet the ship, and also to gather the elders from Ephesus for a final goodbye. Luke tells us of that conversation with them. When Paul got to Miletus, he sent word to Ephesus, and he called for the elders to come. He met them there on the beach. He spoke with them. Then he would pray with them. And in chapter 20, we read the words that he shared with them. He said, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. And in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among me, whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom, will ever see me again. I want you to note a couple of things that the Apostle Paul said. First of all, these two sentences. And now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. We see at this moment that Paul's desire to go to Greece and collect the offering was actually a compulsion of the Holy Spirit. And then to go on to Jerusalem is a directive of the Spirit. The Spirit of God wants Paul to go to Jerusalem. 
Now, the Holy Spirit is also warning the Apostle Paul that prison and hardships are facing him. It seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? The Holy Spirit is compelling Paul to go to Jerusalem, but at the same time warning Paul that hardships and prison are facing him when he goes to Jerusalem. Note these words that the Apostle Paul says in response to these warnings. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. You see, the Apostle Paul has made a calculation. The Spirit of God wants me to go to Jerusalem, but at the same time, he is warning me of all the difficulty that is going to face me. How do I look at it? I consider my life worth nothing to me. It doesn't matter what I'm going to face. The higher priority is that I finish the race and complete the task. It's not a matter of, do I preserve my life? It's a matter of finishing the task, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. He went on to warn the efficient elders of what was going to happen when he left. Wolves are going to come in, and they are going to attack the body of Christ there at Ephesus. But you be on your guard. As under-shepherds, you need to carefully watch over the body, the sheep that Jesus purchased with his own blood. And he said to them, so be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you day and night with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And then Luke records for us, when Paul has, had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Paul had deep relationships with people. It was because he loved them so much. It was because he poured out his life for them. And they saw how much he loved by how much he poured out his life on their behalf. They were with him as he prayed day and night for them. They were with him as he worked hard among them. This was a very hard goodbye. And Luke records, after we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea. We landed at Tyre, where our ship unloaded its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit... They urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Once again, the Holy Spirit continues to speak and warns Paul about what is happening in Jerusalem when he arrives there. Luke tells us that continuing on, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. You will remember that Philip was one of those chosen by the church in Acts chapter 6 to oversee the ministry that 
the apostles had been carrying out as they took care of the widows. Luke also tells us that Philip was prophetic, as we know, from what we have read earlier in Acts, and that he, he had four single daughters, and they all prophesied. When I read that, I have to wonder, it was probably tough for guys wanting to date these girls who were prophetic, who knew everything. At any rate, this is where they stayed for a number of days. And Luke records that a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jewish leaders will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. After this, we started on our way up to Jerusalem. What is happening here? Paul has said that he felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And yet, everywhere that Paul stops, there are prophetic words through the Holy Spirit. This is what will happen to you when you go to Jerusalem. We can well imagine why everyone who was with Paul would urge him, plead with him not to go. They love Paul. They want him to be safe. And yet Paul has a conviction in his heart that God has called him to go to Jerusalem. And so he responded, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? You know, if someone deeply believes that they need to do something, and yet there are people around them that feel that that's dangerous, you really shouldn't do this. It's not the best idea. It's natural for us to try to convince that person, don't go. And yet if Paul had listened to them, he would have violated what the Holy Spirit was calling him to do. And he would have broken the will of God for his life. You know, often... We are so concerned about people that we intrude upon the will of God. We are so concerned about their well-being and the outcome of their lives that we hinder them from doing what they feel in their hearts that God has called them to do. May it be that you and I do not hinder the leading of the Holy Spirit in the life of someone. Even if we feel deeply concerned about their safety, but where, rather we pray and we seek God and we cover them, that God will protect them and keep them. And so when Paul would not be dissuaded, they gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. And Luke says, we started up to Jerusalem. 
Paul arrived in Jerusalem and soon after the situation manifested itself, just as the Holy Spirit had warned Paul. But Paul was prepared because of all that the Holy Spirit had spoken to him. Paul had fixed his heart. I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of our Lord Jesus. And so when Paul arrived there and chaos broke out, Paul was not moved by it. He was not caught by surprise. His heart was already prepared. Well, the situation became so bad that the commander who was stationed there sent troops to bring Paul out of that chaotic situation. But there is something more important that we read at that moment in Luke's account. Luke tells us that the dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him up into the barracks. Now, this is what's important. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Now, this is significant. Paul went to Macedonia because he felt compelled by the Holy Spirit. He also said, I must go up to Rome. And then he said, while he was in Macedonia, I'm going to Jerusalem, but then I'm going to come visit you in Rome. Now he's in Jerusalem, and the Lord appears to him and said, you must also testify about me in Rome. What is important here? Here is where we discover that Paul's desire to go to Rome was more than just his own desire to visit the church while on the way to Spain. It was the Lord's will. It was God who put in Paul's heart this desire to go to Rome, preceded by a desire to go to Macedonia before going to Jerusalem. Why? Because Paul could not get to Rome without first coming to Jerusalem. And Paul would not be able to go to Rome apart from the circumstances that would take place in Jerusalem. And yet the circumstances would be so chaotic and dramatic that he, the Holy Spirit needed to prepare the Apostle Paul ahead of time. Well, the Holy Spirit did the Apostle Paul heard, his heart was settled. Look at what takes place. It's important for us to see the sequence of events and understand how God is working to fulfill Paul's faith purpose to God to go to Rome. Remember what he said to the Thessalonians. The resolve to do a work that has been prompted by faith and will be done according to the power of God. So this is how things unfolded. The Apostle Paul arrived in Jerusalem. Anti-Gentile sentiment was running high. 
It was also Pentecost, and so there were Jews there from all over the empire, just as there was on the day of Pentecost. Paul went to see James, who is the leader of the church there. Now, James is a very devout Jew, and he observes the law as well as following Jesus Christ. And so because of Paul having been all through the Gentile world, and because it is Pentecost and he's there with Jewish believers, Paul agrees to observe a vow for 30 days with other devout Jews. And this will help to give credibility both to Paul being there and Paul being in association with the Jews who are followers of Jesus Christ. Well, it's necessary for the Apostle Paul to go to the temple and post a notice that he will be observing this vow for 30 days. He does so, but there are Jews there from the diaspora, from Asia, who had encountered Paul when he was on his missions trips, and now they see Paul in the temple, and they seize him, and they begin to send the message out, the temple is defiled, the temple is defiled. This Gentile associating man has been caught in the temple. Well, they seize Paul, they beat him, and they intend to kill him. And it attracted the attention of the Roman garrison that was posted in the northwest corner in the Antonia Fortress. And they came, they separated Paul, they arrested him, thinking that he obviously was the reason for this outbreak of violence. Well, Paul then told him that he was a citizen of Tarsus. Tarsus was a significant city in the empire. And so the commander, when Paul requested, allowed him to address the crowd. But the crowd was having nothing of what Paul was saying, and they began throwing things at him. And so the commander decided that he was going to flog Paul and then interrogate him to find out why he had instigated this violence. Well, the Apostle Paul then warned the soldiers that he was a Roman citizen, and it was illegal for them to beat him as a Roman citizen. And so the commander then realizes He's not just responsible for resolving this situation. He needs to protect the Apostle Paul because he is a Roman citizen. How am I going to handle this? So the commander ordered a meeting of the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, made up of the priests, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees. Well, it quickly got out of hand. The chief priest ordered someone to slap the Apostle Paul the Apostle Paul said something back to the chief priest, not realizing that he was the chief priest. When people around him said, how dare you speak like that to the chief priest? The Apostle Paul essentially said, my bad, I did not realize that that was the chief priest who was speaking to me. I know that the word of God says that we are not to say anything evil about our leaders. We should take note of the word of God in that regard. 
because we are prone, just as much as the world, to speak evil of our leaders when the word of God tells us not to. The Apostle Paul also noted that a significant portion of the people were Pharisees. And so he spoke out and said, I am a Pharisee, my father is a Pharisee, and I believe in the resurrection. Well, that immediately caused a big outbreak because the Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees do. And the dispute between them became so intense as to precipitate the passage that we read just a few moments ago, where the commander found it necessary to send the soldiers into the midst of that gathering and extract Paul and keep him safe. And it's that night that the Lord visited Paul in a vision and said, be courageous, you will testify of me in Rome. How is this going to unfold? Well, Luke tells us that a group of Jews, 40 to be exact, made plans to ambush the Romans and to assassinate Paul. They went to the Sanhedrin and said, you speak to the commander, say you want another meeting with Paul to speak with him further, and we are going to kill him before he gets here. Well, Paul's nephew discovered the plot, and he reported it to the commander. And that night, under the cover of darkness, a Roman escort of 470 soldiers. There were 200 infantry, 70 cavalry, and 200 spearmen. They left Jerusalem that night for Caesarea. The commander wanting to transfer Paul into the custody of the provincial governor. Well, when the Jews discovered that Paul had been taken to Caesarea, they traveled there to accuse him. Paul was held indefinitely in custody and repeatedly interviewed. He would be there for two years. And finally, Paul demanded his right as a citizen to appeal to Caesar. And so the governing authorities were obligated to make provision for Paul to be taken to Rome and there to have his hearing before Caesar. And so Luke tells us that Paul was placed into the custody of a centurion from the Imperial Regiment to be escorted to Rome. This gives us a picture of why the Holy Spirit was speaking these words to the Apostle Paul letting him know that it was a difficult route, but the ultimate end would be accomplished. Paul had a desire to go to Spain by way of Rome. God wanted Paul in Rome to testify to the emperor nonetheless, to evangelize the Jews who were there, and to preach the gospel of the kingdom, which he would do for a period of two years. Behind Paul's desire was God's will. But in order to get to, the, to Rome, Paul had to go to Jerusalem. In order for the means to get to Rome to be put in place, Paul had to go through all of this to Jerusalem by way of Macedonia. 
to Rome by way of Jerusalem. I want you to look with me at four principles that we see in the life of Paul through this time. They are principles to finish and not to fail. You and I need to take note of them. We need them to be clear in our lives, especially in the time in which we are living. We need to be purposeful in the way that we live. And we need to be determined that we are not going to fail, but that we are going to finish. Here are the principles that we see in the life of Paul during this time. Number one, the only thing that ultimately counts is the gospel making me acceptable to God. Nothing in life ultimately has the value that will make us acceptable to God. Remember what the Apostle Paul said to the Romans. God gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the only way for an individual to be acceptable to God is to be cleansed of their sins by faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ, his atoning death on the cross. And then for that work to be accomplished in their lives as they are set apart by the Holy Spirit, as they begin to live out the Christ life, as they are led by the Spirit of God into becoming more like Jesus and living for the purposes of God. The Apostle Paul would write to Timothy about one of their comrades in the work of the gospel, a man by the name of Demas, who came from Thessalonica. And he would say to Timothy, and this was among the final words that the Apostle Paul would ever write, Demas, having loved this present world, has forsaken me. Think of it. Demas did not finish. He failed. Why? Because he did not continue to follow through on the work of grace that had been done in his life. The only thing that ultimately counts is the gospel bringing me to faith in Jesus Christ and then continuing its work within me so that I am faithful and faithful to finish. The second principle, the only worth in life is that God is glorified through my service to him and his mission. The Apostle Paul, again, writing to the Romans, said, Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. People invest themselves in a lot of things. Their energy, their effort. To acquire education. To acquire finances. To invest those in something that they consider of worth and necessary for their future. But you know what? This world and everything in it, the Bible says, is passing away. The only worth in life is that God is glorified through my service to him and my service to his mission. In the end, it won't matter what a great job I had, how much money I made, the home that I bought, 
the other things that I invested in and acquired. All that will matter is how did I live my life? Did I live it for the purposes of God? Did I serve the mission of God? Did I do the will of God? Thirdly, resolve and faith are indispensable components in a life that is lived for God's glory. Those two words are critical, resolve and faith. In other words, a purpose, a determination to do something, and then faith to trust God that he will do it through me. I don't have the means. I don't have the ability. But I believe that God will accomplish it because I want to do it for his purposes. Remember again the words that Paul prayed for the Thessalonians. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his call and may fulfill every good resolve and work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. As I studied this passage and I wrote this point, I thought of a number of different people that I've known throughout the years of ministry and their resolve to serve the Lord. We are going to be having several missionaries, including one who will be with us next week. They are live dead missionaries. They are going to people groups where the gospel is not openly proclaimed. They all have great stories of how God called them. But to step out and do what God is calling them to do. The resolve of giving their lives to go to a group of people where no one is, is sharing the work of the gospel is a great step of faith. You will hear their stories. I also thought of Jim and Charlotte Willard. And I remembered the first time that I visited their home when it was on Mayberry. And I walked in and Jim showed me a typesetting machine that he had there. And the work that he and Charlotte were doing to help others print the gospel and distribute it so that people would know the good news about Jesus Christ. Jim is a printer by trade. And so knowing that he could use that to serve the gospel, in addition to his day job, he bought that typesetting machine. He would use it, Charlotte would use it. Together they would produce material for others to distribute. We often distributed the material that Jim produced as we went door to door through this neighborhood, sharing the gospel with people and inviting them to come to know Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, what are you doing with your abilities? What have you resolved to do for God? What will Jesus be able to look back and say? You purposed in your heart. You stepped out by faith. And you did. All that you could do, trusting me, that I would enable you. I want to show you the results of your labor for me. Resolve and faith are indispensable components in a life that is lived for God's glory. And finally, the value you place on your own life 
will determine whether you fail or finish. This might be the most important point here. All of us places a value on his or her life. All of us determine there's a certain extent to which I will go and no further. A certain risk I will take. The adversary knows that risk point. He knows where if we are threatened enough, we would say, no way. And we would step backwards. The Apostle Paul, however, placed no value on his life. You see, he had nothing to lose because his life was not valuable to him. When my life is valuable to me, I want to protect it. I want to preserve it. But the Apostle Paul did not. Those around him wanted him to protect and preserve his life. But the value that he placed on his own life was zero. What did he say? I consider my life worth nothing to me. You see, if his life was worth something to him, he would not risk the beatings, the imprisonment, the stonings, everything else that he had gone through. He would not have walked thousands and thousands and thousands of miles just to be rejected at another place. But his life was worth nothing to him. The only thing that counted to him was finishing the race and completing the task that God had given him. Paul, zero. Jesus, everything. When that is my perspective, I have nothing to lose by whatever happens to me as I serve Jesus, as I run this race, as I do the work that he has given me. From prison, the Apostle Paul would write to the Philippians and say, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If in the course of serving Christ I die, I gain everything because I gain him. And I have only one reason for living. It is not a reason that is associated with me. I have no reason in myself. And for myself, my only reason to live is Christ, to do his will, to serve his purposes. The value you place on your own life will determine whether you fail or finish. In the days ahead, friends, you and I are going to be tested and we are going to be confronted with how faithful we will be to Jesus Christ and what price we will pay. Long before that moment arrives, may we already have done the calculation and be able to say, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task. The Apostle Paul, during his last hearing before the authorities at Caesarea, would again share his testimony, the testimony of his conversion and his calling. And he would recount what the Lord Jesus said to him. And these are the words that he heard the Lord say, I have appeared to you to appoint you, Paul, as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people 
and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. End of quote. You see, the Apostle Paul had received his calling from the Lord Jesus. He had also received an assurance that the Lord Jesus would rescue him from whatever happened. The Apostle Paul went on to say to King Agrippa, who was interrogating him, So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, and then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God, and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. This is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. And I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Note the words of the Apostle Paul. I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. And then the words, God has helped me to this very day. They hearken back to the words that the Apostle Paul said back in Ephesus when he determined to go to Macedonia and Achaia and then on to Jerusalem and said, I must go also to Rome. They also reflect his heart as he was warmed by the Holy Spirit, but determined, no matter what the price is, I need to go to Jerusalem because I need to get to Rome. I need to carry out the purpose in my heart, and so I go by faith. Today I pray for you, and I pray for you in light of the Word of God. I pray for you in light of what we have seen in the life of the Apostle Paul. I pray that no matter what comes, you will be courageous and resolve to stand for Jesus. I pray that you will be yielded to the Holy Spirit, that he may set your life apart from every weakness associated with sin and with this world. I pray that you will have faith to boldly pursue the mission of God, trusting him to use you beyond your human capabilities. And I pray that you will prove yourself to be worthy of his calling. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.